So today's text is going to be a very simple one. It's not going to be complicated. I was going to try to uh, impress you all with the wealth of my biblical knowledge. Yeah. Well, we're going to keep it simple. We'll keep it simple. Because, you know, we have also this thing called a time situation. So we'll try to keep it within a, a decent amount of time. But, uh, you know, Jesus within his earthly ministry uh, did a lot of, of uh, signs and wonders and miracles and great teaching. And, you know, we, we understand from the scriptures that, uh, you know, a lot of people have always picked up on the quote-unquote golden truth, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, that type of thing. We... Uh, uh, hear it repeated frequently enough, but very, very seldom ever truly followed. You know, um, it's it's one of those things that uh, has a great deal of well-intended meaning and sounding to it, but it does take a person with a more objective view to life to understand how to imply it and to use it in, in its proper context. But that is not the one I'm using for this morning. I just thought I would just give you that piece of information at no charge. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway, but uh, the the verse of scripture I wish to uh, to take a look at is is a is a passage of scripture that uh, um, I think it's a question that we never answer just one time in our life. At least I've not found that to be true for myself. And when I observe a lot of young people who have been brought up in and around the church, I find this to be true that it's something that they have to answer time and again throughout their life. And it's a very simple passage of Scripture. And it starts in Matthew chapter 16 and starting at verse 13. It says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, and others one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we are so grateful that... You have made known to us and to our hearts the person of Jesus Christ. You have made known to us about his life, his death, his resurrection, and of the promises that he brings to us. We are grateful that we have this opportunity just to come together here this morning to sing praise and adoration to your name, to give you honor and glory for the great things that you have done. As our brother shared before, the promises that you have given unto us, the examples throughout the Old Testament and in life of your faithfulness and your loving kindness. It is with that in mind, Father, I do pray for your anointing upon this, your servant, as we attempt to minister and to deliver truth of your word. And I would hope that it would deliver that very thing, hope and encouragement through those who may be going through times of difficulty. 
And Father, for those who are standing strong, that it just continues to reaffirm your steadfast love. May you be exalted and glorified this morning. In Christ's name, amen. All right. You know, uh, this, this question of whom, you know, the first question was, who do men say that I am? You hear a lot of different opinions. Yeah? You get a lot of different opinions of who Jesus is. Why, you know, he was, a, he was a really good teacher. He taught some real good fundamental things. He was delusional, of course, because he claimed to have this affinity with, the, with God himself, but he had some really good things to teach, right? We discussed that with the, uh, 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 sorry, the, I remember I hit that pulpit, with the golden rule, Right? We think that that's one of the, the few things that came. And then, you know, there's a lot of people, they like to go back, you know, in the first part of Matthew, that he talks about the Sermon on the Mount, right? A lot of really good fundamental teachings within the Sermon on the Mount. And people will, will hold to those things. But, you know, when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ, this is where we have a great deal of uh, fallout, if you will, even within the, the quote-unquote body of Christ, within the churches. And to me, I think it's one of the saddest things of all that we have this, this difficulty. You know, you can talk about God in general all you want, and most people will just let you have your, your own opinion. But when you get to the person of Christ, boy, there's where the schism comes, right? Right? I mean, you can get up and you, they have their, their uh, day of prayer. Their, you know, uh, it's coming up here. I think it's on May 5th. It's the National Day of Prayer. You know, they're going to have, have that. And, you know, they're going to let people of all faiths come up and pray. Because in their view, we're all praying to the same God. That's what they like to put forward. But the question is, is that fundamentally possible or even true do all people exactly do all people pray to the same god do all people have the same understanding of his benevolence ask that of the the jew ask that of, of the Muslim, ask that of a Hindu, ask that of a Buddhist. Do they all have the same viewpoint as to this uh, power? Some see them as being kind of, I want to say, uh, ethereal. You know, some look at him as just as, as being, uh, uh, what do you say, struggling here this benign force that's there and if you're fortunate to to uh, make contact with that then you will have something that kind of goes your way or maybe not you know how, how do you how do they look into this this idea of who this person is of who is God what is the representation of God? 
you know? And this is the thing that we have to answer. You know, like I said, I was brought up kind of in and around the church. It was kind of interesting. I, I had an opportunity to uh, uh, go. I don't know how many here are familiar with Teen Challenge, but it is a, uh, a drug deliverance program that was started many, many years ago by a gentleman by the name of David Wilkerson. And he was the one that, uh, you know, when he was a young uh, minister, went to New York and uh, because he saw these these uh, young inner city kids who were uh, had uh, killed uh, some people, and uh, you know he was going there because he wanted to take them the gospel. And when he got there, he found out that the majority of these kids were all addicted to drugs and things like that. And so he started a ministry, this inner city, inner city ministry called Teen Challenge. It was primarily directed towards these teens to see that they found deliverance in Christ. And he was a Pentecostal, you see. And so it naturally, it, uh, you know, he, he started the ministry. The Assemblies of God just kind of took it on. And it became a nationwide ministry where their, their primary goal is to see people delivered from addiction, primarily to drugs and alcohol. That's their, their primary focus. And it was kind of interesting because I go to this meeting and um, back in among some of the uh, Pentecostal brothers and sisters that I have uh, been around for, for many, many years of my life. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the worship service and everything was kind of, uh, you know, the usual dy dynamic that goes on within that little festive, you know, we kind of like to move a little bit. And it was, it was, uh, it was enjoyable. And I got to meet uh, Snow Peabody. I shouldn't say I got to meet. Snow Peabody has been the director of the Teen Challenge of Arizona for like 40 years, maybe 50, I think it is. And uh, he was given a, uh, a testimony, and I'll get to that in, in a minute. But, uh, you know, the, the, the birth of this teen challenge was that they took the gospel for these people to be delivered. That was the message. That was the, that's the, the underlying current, everything within that. And, you know, within the assemblies and stuff, I, I should say within teen challenge, they have an 80% effective rate of nobody going back into drugs and alcohol after they complete the program. 80% unheard of you don't get any anything near that within government uh, deliverance programs you know 80 percent and the reason it gets up so high like that is because they are adamant adamant about their involvement with the scripture their involvement with a personal god their involvement in personal relationships you see so the, the, the focus of that ministry has to do with conveying to the individual who God is, what God wants, and how he is approached. You see, and you don't see that within, you know, I, I know there's other programs out there. I mean, I've heard of people, they go to AA and they talk about what they talk about. You give it over to your higher power. That's personal, right? You get over to a higher power. And I'm not saying that I am like opposed, if you will, to AA. I understand that they have success within the program. I would rather a person be free from the addiction to alcohol. But what I would rather them to be would be addicted to the person of God through the person of Jesus Christ. 
Make sense? Because if you just have a higher power, do you ever know that higher power? No. It's just somebody on the fringe of your life that when things get too hard for you, you just give it over. But that's not personal. It's not a contact. It's not deliverance. See, I like what Jesus is saying here. Who do people say that I am? Am I just this higher power? Am I just this voice? Am I just some person that's been touched by God to deliver a message for you to evaluate and weigh and to accept what you want and reject what you will? Right? I mean, that's what he's asking. Who do they say that I am? What do other people, when you talk to them, what do they think about this person of Jesus Christ? Do they think that he is the way, the truth, the life, or is that just the formula that we have within a church? Does he understand that he was a literal person, or was he just a figurehead, a figurative person, a myth? You know, so we go through, these, these are the things that we have to answer. So, in addition to, to having gone and to been a part of, of that uh, celebration, you know, the, the thing that comes to your, to your mind is that we have so many opportunities within the Word to believe God for great and mighty things. Yes? No? You guys are all sitting there. Yeah? Don't you think? I mean, when he says that I come that you may have life and life more abundantly, what is your expectation out of that? I hope a little bit of abundance of life. <laughs> right? And he's, he wasn't referring to just in the afterlife either. He was referring to in your present state, your present condition. Right? You know, one of the interesting things is when we become born again, which is that all-important and all-inclusive word, it isn't that we just believe something that may, we may achieve someday. It tells us within the Scripture that when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, He goes, and He moves in. Woo! There you go. He says, life comes into you, right? He says that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead moves in. You go, oh! There we go. See what I'm saying? That's what it's supposed to be. You're supposed to, you're like, wow, that's what he told me. Now, do we always feel that? Hello? Do you always feel like, you always feel like, you know, you got the, the power of God just going out through you like crazy? Fire from the fingertips? No. You don't always feel that way. But, are there ever times when you're alone with God, when you feel that unction, that life within you, when you're praying in earnest and you know that God is resonating within your heart, He's resonating within your mind, and His Word has taken root in you, and you feel motivated and you feel moved and you feel a bit elated? Anybody? Amen. You get life, but it's based upon a foundation of not just manipulation of feelings, it's based upon what he has said, right? It's based upon what he has told you through his word. And see, when Jesus is asking his disciples this question, who do people say that I am, right? 
He's looking to understand where are they getting their information? How are they collecting their, 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 their knowledge of what's going on within their midst, right? Jesus told them, the things that you see happening among, among you, I need you to understand for you to know that the kingdom of God is now present with you, right? That's what he was trying to teach him. I want you to understand that the kingdom of God is present with you. Well, I think he's just prophet. Oh, he's really just a really good teacher. He's got some really profound things to say. And if we could, you know, get those that, you know, maybe we would have a better, better community meeting, right? Maybe the, uh, the, the guy that uh, weighs out the grain, maybe he'll use it more on a scale now, right? Or, you know, maybe those, uh, those farmers that are, that are doing well, maybe they'll, you know, leave a little more gleanings out on the edge for the, for the poor. You think that's what Jesus was coming to hope that they would just pick up on a little bit of that? Or was he bringing them the message that God was coming to reside with all of them? To pick up a different type of dynamic relationship within everybody. Forget the mic's right there. Amen? You, the question is, what, what is, what is it that, that Jesus is doing? And so he asked that question. You know, and that's the important question that you ask of the people. Who do you say that Jesus is? And you allow them, you allow people to kind of express what it is that they think about the person of Christ. You know, I, I was, I've had uh, times when people uh, in, in marital relationships where one is a believer and one is not, is not a believer. And we have that promise within Corinthians that uh, if they agree to abide together, that they shouldn't divorce because you don't know which, what influence one spouse may have on the other in regard to the kingdom of God, right? So he says, so if you can live peaceably, that you should do that because the hope is, is that the one who has embraced new life in Christ will have an influence on the one who has not, in hopes that they will be brought in. Amen? That's what you hope. But I've heard of relationships where the people have agreed to be together for, and, they, and they've been married for a number of years. And you talk to them, you say, well, do you ever have discussions in regard to the person of Jesus Christ? And they say, no. And you wonder, then how are they not confronted with that question? You follow what I'm saying? Because when Jesus came, he made some pretty profound claims in regard to his person. And claims that, if left unignored, would leave the unbeliever separated from God for, out, for eternity. Right? Right? but if believed and embraced, would transform and change a life for eternity. And so you wonder how it is that that conversation doesn't take place so that the other person has, is at least confronted with who is Jesus Christ? You follow what I'm saying? Where you actually are answering the question, who is he? Was he just a teacher? Or was he fictitious? You follow what I'm saying? 
There's so much here to unpack. But the thing is, is that that is the question that people have to answer. You know, it's really kind of funny when you look at our, not to be political, but when you look at our government, and you understand that, uh, you know, they, they, they go on this whole thing about separation of church and state, which they have totally twisted and miscombobulated terribly. You know, they used to, I don't know if they still do, but, you know, every session of, of Congress was supposed to be started with prayer. And it wasn't just to any God. It was the God of Scripture. Amen? It's what it was. They prayed to the God who gave us the Scriptures. And they prayed in Jesus' name. Their thing was, is they just weren't going to force you to be Anglican or Catholic or Methodist or Presbyterian or any other, you name it, out there. They weren't picking any one, so that was the separation. That the state would not pick the fellowship that everybody had to belong to. But now, they've twisted it so much that God is almost meaningless. He's just some kind of benign authority that's out there that really doesn't involve himself in the affairs of men. But we do this as a perfunctory act. You see, he's, they've, lost, they've lost sight of who Jesus is. And we have, as a nation have lost sight of who Jesus is. And that's why these questions are so important to me. Who do people say that I am? That's what he's asking the disciple. Who do they say that I am? So the question always begins, what do you hear people say when they're talking about spiritual things? Because the real answer to that comes with the follow-up question, who do you say that I am? You follow what I'm saying? That's where the real grind comes within life. That's where the real friction kind of hits, is when you start talking about the person of Jesus Christ. They don't mind talking you talking about God in general, but when you talk about the person of Christ, therefore it's tied to a specific line of reasoning, and it's, and it's tied to a specific understanding of a revelation of God himself. Amen? And that's, that's way different. That's not you trying to figure out who God is. That's not you trying to figure out a pathway to heaven. That's not you trying to figure out what does it mean to be kind? What does it mean to be good? What does it mean to be, you know, patient? Because we have the author of who all of that is, right? We have the author right before us, the one who loves us, Jesus. Says greater love has no man than to lay down his life for a friend, right? That's what he said. Greater love has no man. And then what did he go and do? He went and laid down his life for enemies, right? It tells us that why we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. Woo! Think about that. That's the demonstration. What does it mean to love? Oh, it involves sacrifice. Oh, that's not good. I like that good feeling you get right here, the fuzzy one. But that sacrificial one, that just kind of rubs me the wrong way. 
You see? But he's saying love requires sacrifice. Right? And he says patience. We need to be patient. And people say, hey, don't ever pray for patience because you are going to face a lot of struggle and trial. And I say, well, if you're living in Christ, guess what, my brothers and sisters, you're going to be facing a lot of struggle and trial. Amen? So you don't need to pray for patience. What do you need to pray for in that regard? That his patience rise up within you. Right? When, it, when the scripture tells a husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church, so does that mean you only love her when things are right? I'm just asking, just asking. It's a good question to answer. As a husband, I'm, I'm kind of there sometimes, you know what I'm saying? It isn't just, you know, you just love them when things are good or do you love them when things are in imbalance? Just a thought. You guys are just way too reactive. Way, way too reactive. But you follow what I'm saying? Where does patience come from? Patience isn't something that we create. It is an idea that we try to generate. It is something that is personal and real. And it comes from a person. And we had the demonstration of that person in the person of Christ. Right? Yes? Yes. Okay, good. Got reaction. Like that. You know, so when you, when you look again, who do you say that I am? I mean, there's been many times when, you know, let me ask you this all-important question. How many of you have ever been dissatisfied or upset with God? Oh, come on. Only me? No, here we go. Yes. Are you in a relationship with God? Well, then you better have moments where you're dissatisfied. Why? Because you pray for one thing and God does something different. And you're like, no! No, God, no! That isn't what I prayed for. And you said right here, if I do this, you would do that. Right? And then you're sitting there, you're like, what happened? God, you failed. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's the thought that comes to you. And if it doesn't come to you, then I'm telling you, sorry about this, I'm going to have to call you a liar. Because if you do not find at moments of disappointment, then you're not in a real relationship. You follow what I'm saying? Because a relationship involves that very dynamic where there's give and take. Always. So you go through and you say, you know, we, I love to sing songs that talk about God's faithfulness. I do, because I believe that God is faithful. You know, but that doesn't mean that God gives you everything that you want. It doesn't mean that God answers every prayer you pray the way you think he ought to. Right? And we know that he is good and kind because we have the one thing that we look at each and every time to recenter us in our lives. And what is that one thing that we look at? It is the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the only thing we have to go back to. 
Because if we try to create God in our own mind, our own understanding, in our own image and likeness, then he's just a representative of us, of what we think. But when we go back and we allow him to be the representative of who he is, then we understand that when he said that if you are a follower of me, you will have tribulation in this life. When he says, the world hated me, you ask any person out there if they hate Jesus and they'll tell you what? Why, no. We don't hate him. We think he was a good teacher. We think he was a bit delusional about that whole God thing, but he was still a good teacher. But he says, if you take and you embrace my words as to who I am, then what happens? You have friction. You have fallout. You have discord, right? Because what he claims in regard to his person is so fundamentally transforming about what you have to become that the most of the world won't embrace it, right? Because he says, you have to let go of the things of this world and lay up treasures in heaven. Well, uh, I might be able to do that later in life, but not right now. What I'm saying? So when I get older, then I can become a Christian. Because by then, that desire for worldly things will have vanished. <laughs> yeah, like that ever happens, right? We think sometimes it will. You know, so when we go through and we and we look at, at what is, you know, reaffirming in our heart, reaffirming in our mind, how we answer that question, that's the thing that is fundamentally important to us as believers. It is the thing that helps us to face tragedy and adversity, struggle and trial. Amen. When people are going through issues with their health. I, you know, when is one of the hardest times to, to be clear and have clarity on spiritual things is when you're in the midst of a struggle and a trial. Always is the hardest. And that's when people of like precious faith come alongside and they say, I've been where you're at. I've been through a struggle. I've been through a trial. I've had issues with health. I've lost loved ones. I've lost people who were I thought were going to be the next in line for most use of God, and then God took them. And I'm sitting there going, why? Why? Right? But <clears throat> you come back to the person of Jesus. And he says, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. I will be that one that sticks closer than a brother. Amen? And in the midst of that, when you focus on that, when you recall those things and you recall the reality of the person of Christ, it is then that the, that life of God begins to, I don't want to say reform, but we'll just say begin to surface higher within you. It is when that life of God begins to remind you of his great and precious promises. 
And when those promises start coming up that we even sang about, you begin to remember that His divine nature resides within you. And that this thing that we're going through in this life is just passing. And that there's coming a time and a day when we will rise with Him for eternity. Amen? And when that happens, we get to say goodbye to all the struggles and all the trials and all the failures that have gone on, all the things that tried to hold us back, all those things that we suffered through and we thought there's no hope. But then Christ comes through. You know, one of the greatest things within all of Scripture, if you will, is when they go to, to Lazarus's tomb there, right? And they said, Jesus, if you would have just been here, he wouldn't have died. And he says, do you believe that I am the resurrection and life? And he says, oh, we believe that one day we're going to rise, blah, blah. He says, no, what do you believe about me? You understand what he's saying? Who am I? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth me should not perish, but there you go. Right? So the only person in all that place that ever believed that Jesus was the resurrection and life was Lazarus. Just the one. And Christ called him forward. Interesting that he waited so long to demonstrate how sometimes we lose focus and we forget who is the author of our life. Amen? It happened to all of them. They witnessed his ministry, they witnessed his miracles, and they forgot who he was. And all I'm asking you, my brothers and sisters this morning, is just to remember who he is. Rehearse that in your heart. Rehearse it in your mind. Relive his promises to you that he is the resurrection and the life. He is the one that gives you life and life abundantly. He is the source of all hope in the midst of adversity, in the midst of trial. When things are not seeming to go your way, that's when you can honestly say, and I remember my grandpa saying this and it used to irritate me. He said, well, praise the Lord. That's not going the way I wanted to. And I'd be like, that makes no sense at all, grandpa makes no sense at all and his whole point was it's not going my way but God has a purpose behind it so I'll just praise him so I go back to Snow Peabody and I wrap up on this here's a man that has been walking with the Lord for 50 years I've been serving in Teen Challenge I should say for 50 years he and his wife had gone to Florida for a Teen Challenge big thing that they had there he got COVID his wife got COVID. They come back. They go to the doctor. They send her home. They admit him into the hospital. Two days later, he's on a respirator. They had to perform a tracheotomy on him. There we go. And for three weeks, they had him in an in induced coma and all that. And you're thinking, what? 
God, how can you do that? Why, he's been serving you faithfully for 50 years. He doesn't deserve that. But his wife comes into the hospital. The doctor says, you need to prepare yourself because this doesn't look good at all. His, all of his vitals are way, way down. And she says, you know, we are people of faith. We trust that God's will will be done. But we're going to pray. We're going to pray. Three weeks later, snow's back. They take him off the machine, hallelujah. And now he's got to learn to talk again. And one of the things that his, <coughs> this is what I want to get to, one of the things that his therapist said, Snow, if you really want to get your speech and stuff back, you got to learn to sing. You got to sing again. And he's like, what? Of course, at that time, he said it was more like, what? He says, you got to sing. He says, singing is the best way to restore your vocal cords. And he says, I think we can do that. And that is what he began with doing, is that he would sing praise to the Lord. But I do want you to also understand that the first thing she started him on was happy birthday and jingle bells. But he changed that to sing worship and to sing praise. And within the midst of all that, he was back and he sounded really good, you guys, for being 70-some years old. You know? So my point to you is, who do you say that Jesus is? He said, he's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's the great I Am. He's the one that is the firstborn from the dead, right? He is the one who takes preeminence in all of creation. He is the one that loves me so much that even while yet I was his enemy, he died for me. Amen? That's who we serve. That's who we celebrated here this morning was that Savior, we celebrate the one who loves us and whose love is stronger than sin and death. Whose love is stronger than death, hell, and the grave. Whose love is going to call us all home one day where we get to celebrate forevermore. Amen? My brothers and sisters, we have the brightest future ever ahead of us. And that's why we need to answer each and every day as to who do you say that he is. The world says he's one thing, but how do you define who Jesus is? Amen? I'll have my wife come and we will dismiss it a song and then I will say a, a uh, prayer of benediction.